survive the promise you've given to us is that that Christ paid the price for our sin and after he had defeated death in the grave that he's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And because you live and my faith and my trust is in you, I have hope beyond today, beyond the things that I face, the struggles that, that are part of my life. And thank you so much for your Holy Spirit and the ministry of your Spirit in our hearts and our lives. Father, in the next few moments as we open the Word of God, I pray that the truth of the Word of God would speak to our hearts. Pray that we'd be encouraged in our faith. And Father, if there are those who are just exploring faith and trying to figure out whether it's for them, I pray that they would be introduced to you in a way that is real. and That they would understand how much you love and care for them and the difference that you want to make in their hearts and their lives. Father, would you be pleased with our time together? I pray that our hearts would be open, that we would listen, and that we would be changed to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, because of our time together. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, you can have a seat. As I said in our announcement time, we're back to uh, the whole story, and this morning we're going to jump in kind of where we left off, which is the book of Job, and the book of Job is quite an interesting place to, to restart. Um, it's, it's one of those books that... If you uh, start reading it while you're depressed, you'll be even more depressed. Um, but it also has a lot of hope in it. And I don't want to just paint the picture that Job is a book that can get you down because it actually doesn't. Uh, there's some beautiful pictures in the book of Job of really who God is and what God is all about. The whole story as we've gone through it, we've talked about starting in Genesis, going to Revelation, and showing you a couple of threads throughout the Bible. We wanted to talk about maybe how Christ is seen throughout the whole Bible. We wanted to talk about maybe the character of God as he's seen throughout the whole Bible. And then how knowing God changes who we are as we walk through the Bible. And we understand this, that the Bible is not just a collection of stories and events that kind of help us understand the mysteries of life and figure out how to live life. The Bible is God revealing himself to mankind and helping us to understand the fact that he wants a relationship with us that's real and he wants to be involved in our lives in such a way that it changes the course of our life for eternity. And the Bible in all of its writings has those threads that go from Genesis all the way to Revelation that show us the person and the character of God and the person and the character of Christ and what Christ has done to redeem mankind. Here's the thing that I love about all of the books of the Bible when you put them together is this. God has an incredible desire to restore mankind to his original place. Do you realize, and we talked about this in Genesis way back when we started this, that when God created mankind in Genesis, when he created Adam and Eve in Genesis, he created them so that they could have a relationship with him. It was a love relationship between God and his created. And if you remember from the book of John, he, he said it this way, that all the world would know the relationship that the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all the world would understand the depth of that relationship, the oneness, the togetherness, the fact that they're in unity and they love to be together. And what God is trying to do is restore mankind to that place and in eternity that will happen. But the Bible as a whole paints that picture of God going to great lengths and great extremes 
to redeem mankind back to himself. So the whole story this morning, we're going to talk about the book of Job. And the title, if you want to throw a title on it, this thing, you could put a lot of titles, but the one that came to my mind is that this book is really written and it's, it's from God's view. Not from Job's. I mean, Job's going to tell us a story from his view. But we're going we're gonna to realize that there's a snapshot in this, this book that is really from God's view. This book, the book of Job, it's named after the character Job. His name actually appropriately means hated or persecuted. If you go through the book, it kind of goes, wow, okay, the name. Maybe you don't want to name your child that after you realize the name of, of Job and what it means. Job, in his lifetime, there are a couple of ideas of when Job lived. It was either sometime between Noah and Abraham uh, that he lived, or it was that he was a great-grandson of Esau and a contemporary of Moses. Either way, he's an old character in the, book of, in, in the Bible. And we believe that the book of Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible as far as its write, written date. And it's, it's old... It's ancient, but yet it paints a picture, once again, of who God is, an account of who God is. This book of Job is an account of the life of Job, his riches, but not just his material riches, the blessing of God on his life. But it also goes into great detail about his afflictions and his trials and his suffering, and and then the restoration of Job. And I don't want to give it away, but Job is restored by the end of it, so you don't get discouraged. But the thought I want you to get this morning as we wander through this book together is this. God's concern is our eternity. God's concern is our eternity. The book gives us kind of an introduction. We believe that the book was written by Job and then it was kind of edited by Moses. We're not sure about that, but that's, that's kind of the idea. But in Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the verses will be up on the screen. But let me read this to you. I want to introduce you to Job. There was a man in the country of Oz named Job. There was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen. 500 female donkeys and a very large number of servants. And Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. They believed that he was in the Arabian desert is where he lived. That's Job describing this life that he had. Pretty good, right? I mean, if you and I were to describe our life that way, it sounds pretty good. Let me describe it from God's point of view because God says something about Job as well. This is in Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. One day the sons of God, the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The Lord asked Satan, where where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around it. So I want to stop there for a minute. So Satan is wandering around the earth. And that's his privilege. God has given him that privilege and he comes into the presence of God and and when he comes into the presence of God he comes with the angels now I don't know how that works because I don't know how evil ends up in the presence of God and Satan represents evil don't don't ask me because I can't tell you at this moment I've been thinking about that though as I've been studying this how does that work and God has some way of doing that I, I don't know 
But I notice that he comes into the presence of God. And when he does, and he says that I've been roaming around the earth, he's not just wandering around the earth aimlessly. That's not what Satan does. Revelation, John put it this way in Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser of believers. And that when Satan wanders around the earth, he doesn't just wander aimlessly. He wanders around looking for those that, another place in Scripture says, that he could devour those that he could ruin their lives. And then in terms of believers, if you're a Christ follower here, that he's, he's an accuser. He's one who looks for little cracks in believers so that he can make statements about them and he can, can accuse them of doing all kinds of different things. It's important for you to realize that Satan constantly is coming before God when God allows it, and he's making accusations against you and against me as believers in Jesus Christ. And every time I think about that, I think about these. this picture to me is of a, a little child, like a three- or a four-year-old, who's running to mom and dad to tattletale, right? My brother Johnny pulled my hair, right? That's the picture that I get. My, and I know I'm simplifying it, but the picture is this, that Satan is coming before God all the time to accuse, hey, did you see your child, Tim, while well, he did this again? He doesn't deserve to be your child. That's the accusation. But as I was reading that and studying that this week, my heart was refreshed and renewed and warmed and comforted because these thoughts came to my mind about the New Testament. And I remembered that Scripture tells me that when Jesus Christ went to the cross and he finished his work on the cross, he's at the right hand of the Father, and when Satan accuses me of sin, Jesus Christ holds out his hands before the Father and he says, yes, but I paid the price for him. He's my child. He's accepted in the family because of what I did. And as Satan accuses me because he did, this week, he accused me this week and he accused you and he made accusations against you before the Father this week. And as he was doing it, Jesus was standing before the Father and says, don't look at what Tim did, look at me. Look at Tim through me because his life has been made perfect through me. And at the same time that Jesus Christ was doing that on my behalf, the Holy Spirit was also on my behalf pointing at himself and saying, Father, remember, I am the seal of Tim's salvation until the day of redemption. He is sealed. He's been bought. He's been paid for. And I have sealed him. I'm the guarantee that forever he belongs to the family. I love that. Don't get excited. I know we're, you know, we don't. So, folks, I don't know about you, but that excites me because knowing that Satan comes before God and makes accusations against me sometimes scares me because I realize that it's true, right? I'm a sinner. Yes, I've been saved and I've been redeemed and I've been restored, but I still struggle with a sinful nature. And Satan is right at times when he makes his accusations against me, and he's right when he makes his accusations against you before the Father. But I have an advocate. I have one who is interceding on my behalf. 
Okay, that was a little bunny trail. Let me keep going with that verse. Verse 8 then says this, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Look at how God describes Job. I want you to think about this for a minute. No one else on earth is like him. A man of what? Perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. How Job described himself and then how God described It's the same. He says, look, look, Satan, have you thought about Job? Job is a man of integrity. There is nothing about him that is off kilter. He's not, he's not messing around on the side doing things that he shouldn't. He's not got questionable things going on in his life. He's a man who's honest. He's up front. When he gives you his word, it's his word. His word is his honor. It's the way it is. Have you looked at him? This guy has got it together he's living and and he fears God and he doesn't turn away from God ever hey this week when Satan came before God and he said hey have you seen my servant you fill in your name how did he describe you did God go hey Satan take a look at my servant you put your name him. He's a man that is full of integrity. He looks to God all the time. He's, he loves God with his whole heart. And everything that he does with every person that he does it is honest and upright and full of integrity. Is that how he described you and me this week? That's how he described Job. Pretty amazing. From God's view, look at verses 9 through 12. And Satan answered the Lord, does, God fear Job, does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in land, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan. Everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on him. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Whoa, hold it. Hold it. Tim, didn't you just say that, that Jesus Christ is there with his hands out, I paid the price, and that, that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee, and he protects, and he seals, and he's got me, and God just said, go ahead, have Adam. Hold it. Doesn't God love his children? Why would a loving father allow that kind of thing? I mean, God said this. This wasn't a suggestion off on the side. This is God talking. I need you to remember something this morning, and this doesn't fly well in North America, so let's lift ourselves out of the United States of America for a minute. We're floating above it, okay, because this doesn't go well here. God is not concerned with your comfort. Can I say that again? I know you, we, we're floating above. We don't, we're not in, okay? God is not concerned with your comfort. He's concerned with our character. We look at the immediate. We look at the struggles of the here and now. We get wrapped up in what's going on in our life right in this minute, and I understand it because we are people who are caught up in the immediate. But God is looking at eternity. 
We're concerned with what's going on right now, but God is concerned with our eternity. And maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, I don't understand why my life is tough and -and so-and-so's life is so easy. God is not concerned with your comfort. He's concerned with who you're becoming. God is not concerned with how secure you feel right now in the stuff that you have, in the position that you have at work, and he's concerned with who you're becoming and what you're becoming like. Are you becoming more like his son? And has the Spirit of God got control of your heart and your life? And is he, is he transforming you into the person that he wants you to be? Are you becoming more like Christ? God is concerned with your eternity. And it wasn't enough that God did this once to Job. Look with me, if you will, to chapter 2. He does it twice, verses 1 through 6. And one day the sons of God came again to the presence, present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him. And remember what I said, he just doesn't aimlessly roam through the earth. He has a purpose in what he's doing. He's bringing accusations. He's causing hate and dissent. He's working on making chaos reign in the earth. That's his dominion. If you remember way back in Genesis, that's what God gave him. He said, look, because of sin and while sin is on the earth, you have the ability and the power to cause chaos over the earth. And that's what Satan does, and he does it very well. I've been roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, if you, if you read that chapter right before that, God gave him permission to take everything, and Satan did. He took it all. He took his sons and his daughters and everything that he had, he took it. But, say, but Job would not curse God. Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on the earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity. He still says it about him, who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though... You incited me against him to destroy him for no good reason. Skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and his bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan. He is in your power. Only spare his life. Whoa, whoa. I thought God children he does the heart of God is for our eternity it's not for our here and now oh he works out the here and now he's in the here and now he lives with us in the here and now he grants us and promises grace and mercy and peace and the ability to live in the here of here and now but God is about our character and our eternity And God knows this about someone who has put their trust fully and completely in Him. He knows that the harder it gets on this earth, the more completely they will turn to Him, not away from Him. Instead of being drawn away and pulled away from Him, those whose trust and life is completely placed in Jesus Christ, when life gets rough, they turn Closer and closer and closer to the one who loved him and offers them grace and peace and hope. 
Romans says it this way, not only that, this is in Romans 5, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. And this hope doesn't disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who gave that hope to us. Paul said it this way, he says, look, when trials and difficulties come, it produces the character that that proves and shows the person of God in my life. And that's what happened to Job. The more that Satan took away, the more pain he piled on, the more Job turned toward God. And the same happens with you and I. James said it this way in James chapter 1. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. The trials of this life don't draw us or pull us away from God. They draw us to God. And often we want to blame God and say, God, why are you making my life difficult? When in reality, God is simply saying, I want to prove the character. I want to make sure that what you're claiming about me is actually true. I want to make sure that what you're saying is going on in your heart, that the Holy Spirit has control, that Jesus Christ is your Lord, your Master, but even greater than that, He's your King. And I want to make sure that that's right, that that's true. Well, that's the beginning of the story of Job. You say, wow, Tim, we're almost done. And we are. We're almost out of time. But what I want you to know is this. Over the next 35 chapters of Job's life, the author gives us a picture of the struggle. See, he doesn't just say that Job should turn to God and everything should be okay. He shows us the struggle of Job's life that over the next 35 chapters, he tries to figure out what is God doing? Does God love me? How does God love me? And then he has three wonderful friends who show up in the middle of all that and tell him there's sin in your life. You're not living right. You're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. And they're wrong, by the way. Our friends sometimes are. And we come to the end of the book. And God, in those 35 chapters, doesn't really say much. And Job's been waiting on God. His wife was a big help, by the way. His wife looked at him and said, just curse God and die, and it'll be all over. Hopefully, you do not have a spouse who's like that. Hopefully, she's propping you up, or he's propping you up. Okay? But we come to chapter 38, and I find it really interesting because after his friends speak and Job's asking all these questions, all of a sudden, God shows up. And he speaks. And this goes back to the character of God. Remember, God is about what? Our eternity, right? Our character and eternity. And when God shows up and he speaks with Job, he asks Job a series of questions. There's over 70 questions that God asks Job in chapter 38 and 39, 40, right in there. If you have some time this afternoon, it's supposed to rain about an inch of rain. This afternoon, so before you turn on Hallmark, okay, Glenn, before we put Hallmark on, um, grab Job 38, 39, and 40 and read. The questions are pretty amazing. Let me give you just a, just a highlight of the questions that God asked Job. Over 70 of these. Who fixed the dimensions of the earth? Certainly you know. Who stretched 
a measuring line across the earth and can tell you its length. What supports the foundations of the earth? Who laid the cornerstone of the earth? Well, the stars, the morning stars, sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy while he did it. Who told the waves you can come this far, but no farther? Have you ever in your life commanded the morning stars or assigned their place in the dawn? Have you ever told the stars to start or to stop shining? Have you ever traveled to the source of the sea or walked in the depths of the ocean? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of the deep darkness? Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me. Tell me if you know all this. Have you entered the place where the snow is stored? It's coming. Where the source of the east wind spreads across the earth? Have you, can, can you hunt prey for the lioness or satisfy the appetite of young lions? And when he starts asking these questions to Job, he says, Job, stand up, be a man, and answer me. And folks, this morning, he's saying the same thing to you and I. When we question the character of God, God looks at us and says, hey, were you around when I started all this, when I put it all together? Did I ask you, if you look at Isaiah 40, he says it this way, he says, did I ask you for counsel when I was figuring all this out? Hey, anybody can put their hand up on that one? Hey, has God ever checked in with you on what he should do next in the world? Anybody? How about the last election? Did God come to you and say, hey, how should I let this go? No. And he does this with Job. And when he does this with Job, folks, he does this for a very specific reason. He does it to remind us that he is God and we are not. That he was God before we were born and he will be God after we die on this earth. He's God. He's in control. He is sovereign over all. Everything is in his hand. It is by his design. It is by his plan. And he has got it. He's never made a mistake, and he's not about to start. Well, then Job responds to God. I want to read it because it's really where our heart ought to be. Job chapter 42, verses 1 to 6 say this. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted, You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things, look at this, listen to this. Surely I spoke about things I did not understand. Things too wondrous for me to know. You said, listen and I will speak. And when I question you, you will inform me. I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words and I am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. 
I love this. And the reason I love it isn't because Job is humbled, although that's true. I love it because when I read it, I'm humbled. And I realize the things that I put so much emphasis in, so much effort in, so much time and energy in, mean absolutely nothing unless they are about the person and character of God. And that's what he tells Job here. He says, Job, I could ask you question after question after question that prove the fact that you are nothing and I am everything. I am God. And yet, I'm concerned about you, and I'm concerned about your character, and I'm concerned about your eternity. And Job ends this whole thing by saying, God, I get it. God, I get it. I get it. You're concerned about who I am. You're concerned about how I live my life. You're concerned about that I be a man of integrity. You're concerned that I trust you and I fear you and I live out the truth of Jesus Christ every day because I'm showing the character of God to the people who live with me. Folks, God could describe Job as a man full of integrity, but beside God, Job realized who he really was. Right? The closer I get to God, the more I understand and experience His character, the more I see and understand the depth of my sin and my need of God. And that's what Job is about. Job is about a man who trusted God and in the middle of his difficulty just kept turning back to God, kept turning back to God. God, I trust. God, I trust. I want to ask you something. I'm wrapped up for this morning. I want to ask you something. Has your life been drawing you away from or closer to God if you're a Christ follower? Have the events of the last eight months, oh, this has been crazy, it's been annoying, this has been hard, there's been so much misinformation, there's so much stuff that's gone on. Is it drawing you closer to God or has it pulled you away? Do you trust God more now than you did eight months ago or are you not sure? God is all about your eternity. And He wants you to turn and trust him in everything that he does because folks he's sovereign and he's got it he's got it the book of job chapter 42 ends this way so the lord blessed the last part of job's life more than the first he owned 14,000 sheep and goats 6,000 camels 1,000 yoke oxen and more than a thousand female donkeys doesn't mean that it's about money what that verse is actually telling you is this Exactly what God said in Job chapter 1 and 2 to Satan happened. God said at the very beginning, look, if you try Job, he's just going to turn to me. Try it and see. Hey, if Satan asks about you, can God say the same thing? Test them. Try it. Test their life. Do whatever it is that you want to the life, but let them live because I know what's going to happen. The moment you test them, they're going to turn to me. Is that you? The band's going to lead us in a song, and then I'll come back up and close in prayer. But I want you to think about that. If God were to test your character, where would you turn? 
Father, I pray that that's true. I pray that we would, for all our days, glorify you in the middle of the difficulties that we face, that we would turn to you, that we wouldn't be drawn away. Father, this passage of Scripture we've looked at today, this story, at the beginning of it, it's very scary. It's scary to know that Satan is constantly making accusations against the brethren, against those who are your children. It's refreshing to know that through Jesus Christ and by your Holy Spirit, you see me as a perfect child of yours. Thank you. Thank you. God, we're in kind of confusing times, and there's a lot of chaos. We need you. We need to be reminded of how great you are. We need to be reminded that you're in control, that none of this surprises you. You have a plan in all of it. You have a plan for us as individuals. You have a plan for us as a church. You know what you want us to accomplish here in the Oxford Hills as a body. So grant us the wisdom and the courage and the strength to say yes to you and to trust you may our hope be found placed solely in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Remind us that you have our best interests at mind and you really care about our eternity. We'll praise you for what you're going to do in our hearts and our lives. Thank you for your son. In your name we pray. Amen. We're so glad you've been here with us. If you have questions, you want to talk, I'll be up front. The other is remember those food bags as you go. We want to make sure those all go. We want to help as many people as we can. So God bless you. Thanks.